Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. currently doing a series in 1 Corinthians that we started in the beginning of the year, and uh, we've started this new sub-series that comes out of, from chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians called Sex and Pride. So we're talking about sex here at Anchor Church at the moment. If you're a visitor and you didn't know that, what a great Sunday to arrive on. Come on. Uh, you thought I was going to go to like Leviticus or Deuteronomy or something else. No, we're talking about sex this morning. And, uh, and we started this little sub-series um, last week. As Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, this church that exists in a wild city and is experiencing the influence of that city's culture in their lives. And so Paul begins to address them and speak to them about how when your identity is in Christ— how when you know who you truly are, how that begins to impact how you live out, how you express your life through these physical bodies that God has given us. Your body is incredibly valuable. Your body is the vehicle through which you're able to live out the purpose that God has given you, right? That's the value of your body. And so Paul talks about how what we know about who we are in Jesus impacts the way that we live out, the way that we experience, the way that we even live sexually and in all these other areas of our lives. And what I love about Paul, what I love about the Scriptures is that it, man, it is a brave book. The Bible is, is an incredibly brave book. I've left my Bible down there somewhere. But, but it, it speaks loudly, it speaks passionately, and it doesn't shy away from the difficult topics, right? Because God created us. He created us as sexual beings. He created those, those relationships. He, he had an intention with all of it. And so God speaks into it powerfully. And, uh, and we get to learn from that. We get to hear what God has to say. Can we give my beautiful wife a big round of applause? Come on. If you ask her, she'll tell you that half of her life is spent fetching things for me. Um, thanks, babes. But uh, so we, we kicked off this sub-series in 1 Corinthians last week, and, and Paul addresses, we called it Sex and Pride, because Paul talks about how the church had become prideful, even spiritually prideful. And their spiritual pride made them think that we're so spiritual, what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. And if people are, are acting out sexually in ways that is destructive, the church was like, no, that's fine. That's their decision. It doesn't really matter. This kind of spiritual pride and boasting was at the heart of what the church in Corinth was struggling with. And they started to misalign God's intention for them. So I want to uh, continue with that series this morning with a message entitled Sex and Water. Sex and Water. Now we posted this title on our social media this week, and people were super intrigued with what I could possibly speak about with a title like that. Some people even asked whether or not it was going to be a tutorial on sex. So this morning, I'd like to start with a few do's and don'ts. Just kidding. Um, I said to my wife this week, I said, babes, I'm speaking on sex this Sunday. I need to do some research. Um, I need a research assistant. Okay, that's inappropriate. All right. Um, so 1 Corinthians 6, if you have your Bibles here this morning, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, you can turn there. We go back 
to this moment where Paul quotes the motto or the slogan of Corinth. The city of Corinth had a slogan. It wasn't place of gold. It wasn't jewel of the cape. It wasn't some slogan, you know, about the, the natural beauty of the place. Their slogan was, all things are permissible. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. You can come and just, Corinth is a place where you can come and do what you want, do whatever makes you feel good. And, and I think that has kind of uh, become, it's permeated beyond just Corinth itself. And it's actually moved to become the motto, I think, of most of the world. Most of our secular thinking is do whatever feels good. Do whatever your truth tells you to do. Do whatever you think is going to be good for you as long as it doesn't harm others. That's kind of the motto, right? Do what you want as long as you know, it doesn't harm others. And that becomes a really blurred line at what point does it harm others or not. And so Paul actually directly addresses this kind of thinking. And I want to just read the scripture as a foundational scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me. But Paul adds to that, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, he repeats again, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be ruled by anything. And this is the problem that even though we say, well, we're free, and so we can act how we want, not everything that we do is gonna be helpful. And what we run the risk when we give our lives and our bodies over to sinfulness is that rather than us acting or participating in those things, those things begin to dominate us. That sin begins to control our thinking and our feeling and our, and our identity. He quotes another little saying from the city of Corinth, which is, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, you know, my stomach is there to eat food. That's what it was designed for. And, and, and you know, so my food is for stomach and my stomach is for food. And so in the same way, they say, well, my body is for sex and sex is for my body. So it's just a natural thing. It's just natural. So just do it. You were made for it. Your body was, was created like that. Paul comes down hard on this thinking by saying, but God will destroy both one and the other. There's something more eternal, in other words, that your body was created for than just its physiological needs. The body is not meant, he says, designed, developed, originated, created by God for sexual immorality. That wasn't the intention of the body, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God is for you. He's for your body. He's for your health. He's for your relationships. He's for your future. He's for all the things he wants to accomplish through your body, through your heart, through your mind, through your soul, through everything that makes you who you are. And so Paul says, we can get this wrong and we could end up harming ourselves and missing the beauty of God's purpose in all of those things. And that's what I wanna to talk to you a little bit about this morning. But before we do that, can we just go ahead and pray just for one minute? Father, we just wanna thank you that right now we're not just listening to some philosophy, we're not just listening to a worldview, we're not just listening to approach on sex and sexuality, but we're actually hearing the voice of your spirit. We're actually hearing you speak to us in this moment and not just on the on, on kind of the level of the intellect but spiritually God we pray God that your Holy Spirit would impress on us the beauty of what you created us for the value of our bodies the value of our relationship with you God and that we can always all of us take a step towards health in this area we thank you for your grace we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but Lord, that we can simply move closer to what you have intended for our lives this morning. 
In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a question this morning. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Can I have you re- experienced that genuine thirst? If you have, you'll know how incredibly powerful that thirst can begin to, to, to feel and the impact it can have on your thinking and on your, on, on your doing. Like when you're thirsty, you start considering things and thinking about things like nothing else matters in that moment. You just want to have something to drink. You, you consider all kinds of things that you wouldn't have considered before. It just dominates our thinking. Living here in Joburg, I think we're pretty spoiled. You know, we have access to pretty clean water. Here in the northern suburbs, most of us have some sort of water filter or purifier, um, you know, that we drink from and, and uh, access to bottled water. You know, we buy water even though it's, we, we know it's overpriced, but we like it, right? We, you know, we want some expensive water when we sit at the restaurants and, and uh, we can get that whenever we want. I mean, my wife and I, are at the level where we, where we check the TDS of the water that we drink, the total dissolved solids in parts per million. You don't have to go there, but it's not because we won't drink other kinds of water. It's just because we're comparing it with the water we could get at the restaurant next door, right? And so we want a good, you know, somewhere between 50 and 150 TDS, nice sparkly water that we can get with good mineral content. Um, but that's when we're sitting in a comfortable coffee shop somewhere in the city of Joburg. If we were hiking in the mountains like we've done before and we ran out of water, the TDS isn't going to matter so much anymore, right? We're not going to be so concerned about the quality of the water. Our standards would drop really, really quickly. We'd find that we're willing to drink from anywhere because now it's about survival. Now we're not being fussy. Now we're not being picky. It's about survival. It's about staying alive long enough to get home again. In fact, on one occasion when I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, I went out hiking with a friend. And uh, we were walking through kind of the Mpopo area. Early in the morning, we were out before sunrise. And in our rush to get out, we forgot to take water with us. And so we're walking, we'd been walking for a few hours. We realized we don't have water and we're starting to feel really thirsty. About six hours later, as we're trying to walk back to where we had parked the car, we like thirst is like another level. Did you know that if your body, your total water percentage in your body drops 1%, you begin feeling thirsty. I think we were about like 5 to 10% at this point, right? 11 a.m. in the morning, it's over 30 degrees Celsius. We're walking, we haven't had anything to drink for at least six hours when we had a coffee before we left home. And we're feeling so thirsty. Our mouths are so dry, so parched, that our tongues are sticking to our palates, our lips are starting to crack. All we can think about is having something to drink. Have you ever been in that space? Some of you are like, I haven't, but I'm, I'm feeling it right now since you're talking about it. It's like none of you thought you were thirsty until I said, have you ever been thirsty? And now you're all thirsty. So the point is, is that in that moment, we are so thirsty. And as we're walking through this farm that we were on, there's a cattle trough that comes up, Right? In the, in the Afrikaans, they would say a krip. There's a krip there. And it's filled with water that is frequented by the cattle that live on that farm. They drink from that farm. I don't want to know how high the TDS is in that water. But we haven't had anything to drink for six hours. 
And we don't know how long it will be until we get water again. And so what we did is that we went to where the water comes out by the spout. We put our hands in the cow trough and we drank from there. And thank God we didn't die or get any kind of a disease or anything, right? Now you might be thinking that is absolutely disgusting and something that I would never ever do. I would never drink out of a cattle trough. Wait until you've walked six hours in 30 degree heat without any water. I promise you, you'll consider it. You'll start thinking about it. In that moment, as we passed by there, the TDS didn't matter. The alkalinity didn't matter. The mineral content was of no concern. We dipped our hands in and we drank where we could find some relief from the thirst that we felt. There's many stories of sailors that have gone lost at sea or you know, have had to abandon ship and have been floating out on a, on a life vessel somewhere in the ocean. And they've begun to feel so thirsty that even though they knew that drinking the salt water in front of them would absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, cause them to lose their minds and probably die. It leaves you thirstier because the salt just draws whatever hydration you had left in your body out. And so they know this is going to kill me and it's going to make me lose my mind. Countless stories of sailors that just cannot resist the temptation of the liquid that is directly in front of them. It's got to make some difference, they think. And even though I know this will be bad for me, I'm going to try it anyways. I'm just that thirsty. This is actually how the Bible describes the position that we are in as a human race. As humanity, this is how the Bible describes our condition. As thirsty, as parched, as having a, a need for refreshment. Moving through dry and waterless places is what living in this world feels like. In many, I don't know if you've seen those scenes in the movies when somebody gets lost out in the desert and they're crawling through the sands and they think as, as they come to the top of, of one of the dunes that they'll find some oasis or, or that they'll find some, some form of water or some city where they'll be saved and only to come over that dune and find thousands more dunes as far as the eye can see. For a lot of you, that's what life has felt like. I'm thirsty. I know I need something. I'm traveling in every direction I can think of. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Forgive me for quoting the, the great Bono there. Um, the effect of sinfulness and brokenness has done this in our lives. Sinfulness cut us off from the true water source, the true fulfillment, the true satisfaction, and it's left us dissatisfied, disillusioned, and dying of personal drought. So my question for you today is where are you drinking from? And I don't want a religious answer. In your own heart, this is a place where we wanna be authentic. We wanna be honest with ourselves and with each other. Where are we truly drinking from? Where are we getting our satisfaction? Where are we getting our fulfillment? Where are we getting what we feel we need in this life? What is the source that we are looking towards? Look at how these scriptures point towards that. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, God speaking here through the prophet Jeremiah 
says, for my people have committed two evils. There's two things that they have done. The first one is that they have forsaken me. What have they forsaken in forsaking me? The fountain of living waters. You see, it's, it's using water as an image of life here. And this fulfillment that we get from our relationship with God is a fountain that's constantly, it's an eternal spring that's welling up to eternal life. But God says what this world has done is that it has forsaken those living waters. And instead, the second evil it is, is that they have hewn out for themselves cisterns. We don't need the living waters from God. We will just find our own fulfillment in this world, an earthly fulfillment. We will work, we will dig, we will make our own way, and we will, find our, we will dig our own wells, our own cisterns to hold water. But God declares the state of these efforts by saying they are broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, it's, it's, an, it's an exercise in self-deception. We think that we can find fulfillment there. Those cisterns that we dig with our own hands, they hold no water. Jesus even speaks about demonic spirits in this way. Unclean demonic spirits that, that are fallen angels rebelling against God, active in this world, working against God's plans. Where do they operate? Matthew 12, verse 43, the words of Jesus, he says, Now when the unclean spirit comes out of a person, it passes through dry and waterless, dry and waterless, dry and waterless places. That is the realm of the demonic. That is the realm of the enemy. That wilderness, that desert, it's when you step away from the presence of God in your life and you begin to operate in this realm where the demons travel, where they move about. Unclean spirit passes through dry and waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And the enemy's plan is to get you into that same space that he is in. That same space that even the demon spirits seek rest but find none. We have access to the living water, but we choose to live where the demons live. We choose to participate in that world, to journey through that land. And this is not God's heart for us. We know that. We know that God is a good God. We know that God loves us. God wants us to experience the fulfillment. You know, God didn't create human beings so that we could walk around broken and listless. He created us so that we can have life and life to the full. That's what Jesus said. That's why I came so that you can experience the fullness of life. Look at how God makes a promise about this all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 41, verse 17, God again describes the condition of humanity. He says, the afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none to be found in this world. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them Myself, God's like, they are thirsty, they are dying, they are struggling, but I am going to do something about it. Myself, I'm going to do something about it. That's the love of God. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. And God did this in the journey of Israel in the wilderness. They were literally walking through the desert. 
and out of rock, God strikes the rock, commands Moses to strike the rock, and out of that rock flows water. And that water, the Bible tells us, followed them. Incredible. God provides. He creates rivers in the desert, streams in the dry land. But what are the rivers? What are the streams? What is the rock that was struck? It's Jesus. That's where we are called to drink from. The condition of us as people born into sin is a condition of spiritual thirst. But God makes a promise. I will turn your dry lands into fountains of water. Here is the invitation that Jesus, now he arrives and he, he knows what God has sent him to do. So here's the invitation Jesus gives in John 4, verse 14. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him, in you. Not just a one-time drink and you have to keep going back to, to drink again and again because the thirst just keeps coming back. But no, when we abide in Jesus, the water that he becomes to us becomes a spring welling up to eternal life. Isn't that amazing that, you know, rather than, than trying to look for water in this world and in this life, we become a source of water, that God creates fountains of living water to come forth from within us. We're never without that water. We never thirst again when we have this relationship with Jesus. That is the highest concentration of TDS you'll ever drink. You cannot imagine the mineral content of that water. Ultimately, this water that Jesus gives us quenches both our emotional and our spiritual thirst. That's why the answer is Jesus. This is a, it sounds very spiritual and it is, but it's also very practical because it has bearing on how you live your everyday life. And I'm gonna show you how in a moment. When we forget this, or when we don't realize this, what do we do? We drink from whatever water we can find. Whether that is a stagnant puddle, or a pool of mud, or a cattle trough, if it's water, we're gonna try it, because we're that desperate. And this is the condition that we're in. We call it having fun. Our world promotes this view on all the series that we watch and all the movies that we see. It promotes the view that if you have sex with hundreds of people, you'll be sexually fulfilled. Although quite the opposite is true. In fact, in the actual studies, the empirical data that has been done, the most satisfying group of people that are engaging in sex is not the young, good-looking people that are having a different partner every weekend. The group that reports the highest levels of sexual satisfaction is your middle-aged married people. It's just a husband and wife, been married for 10, 15 years, and they're just enjoying a deeply satisfying sexual relationship within the context of marriage. Hey, the enemy has robbed us and is robbing this generation in terms of what 
how it approaches this area. But the world cries out, look how much fun we're having. It's just your body. It's just pleasure. Just, just enjoy it. Aren't we free? Are you free? Are those people engaging in that truly free? And if you think sarcasm doesn't belong in the pulpit, you surely haven't read 1 Corinthians 6 because in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is the king of sarcasm here. His words are meant to be a rhetorical slap in the face of the church, the kind of slap that you would give to a sleeping man who is asleep on a ship that is busy sinking. Like, wake up, church. Rhetorical questions, biting sarcasm, 1, 1 Corinthians 6. I love Paul's tone here. It's like, you're free, aren't you? How's that going for you? How's that working? Are you experiencing this? Don't you know this? The church in Corinth have, had gotten the order in reverse. They were stuck driving backwards. Have you ever tried to reverse like long distances? I have this really long driveway. We live in, in like a panhandle. And people, you know, they count the cost before visiting my house. You know, some people have even, they just park outside. They don't drive down. Because it's going to be a long reverse in a fairly narrow path. And so I've seen people struggle with this, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm still like, bye, bye, you know. But I remember one time being on, on holiday with my family. We actually, we were coming back from holiday and we had booked an Airbnb somewhere in the middle of the Karoo. And we had just gotten there before sunset. And I wanted to quickly get unpacked before it was dark and get the kids in, in bed and, and all the rest. And so I drove to where the door of the Airbnb was and realized the parking was a little bit further behind. So I threw the car into reverse. I looked backwards and I drove backwards. And all of a sudden there was a loud smash, so much so that the people in the house came out to see what was going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have driven into, I've reversed into somebody. Only to realize that the somebody I reversed into was myself because I forgot I had a trailer on the back. I couldn't, my car was too high to see the trailer. And I smashed the trailer and my own car, which is always a fun way to end your holiday. Um, but for a lot of people, that's what happens in life. You get things in reverse and you end up making a smash. There's some destruction. There's some hurt. There's some pain there. You don't know how this happened, but you can't drive successfully in reverse. Let me explain what I mean. When God created Adam, he fashioned Adam from the dust of the earth and created a physical body. God then gave Adam a soul. That soul is the seat of his personality. It is his, his mind, his will, and his emotions. And then the Bible tells us that God did something amazing. Even though Adam had biological life, bios, he then breathes into his nostrils, ruach. And that breath that came into Adam's nostrils caused him to become alive, not bios, but zoe, the God uncreated spiritual life. So as human beings, we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. You are a spirit and you have a body. The core of who we are though, the depths of who we are, when, we, when the Bible refers to the heart of man, it is talking about your spiritual man, your spiritual person, your spiritual woman. It's, it's who you are in the depths. And the way that God intended for this to work was that His Spirit, the Bible tells us, deep cries out unto deep, and God's Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, when God speaks to you, He primarily speaks to the depths of that spiritual man that you are. 
And the idea is, is that when we hear the voice of God, our spirits surrendered to the Spirit of God, and we hear His voice, we tell our souls, our will, and our emotion how to think and how to feel. Your soul is supposed to be surrendered to your spirit. And beyond that, when your will and your emotions are in line with what God has proclaimed in your life and said to you in that moment, you then cause, the soul then directs the body in terms of how to communicate or express itself in this world. In other words, to sum that all up, we're supposed to live from the inside out. Our spirits, hearing from God's spirit, surrendered to his spirit, our faith then tells our mind how to think. That's what it means to renew your mind. Think according to how God has spoken to you, to the reality of what you are on the inside. And your emotions, how to feel. And once your emotions and your mind are in line with what God is saying about your life, you now begin to act. So acting, that's why a lot of churches, you come into this place or come into a church space and they say, this is how you should act. But sometimes that's still reverse order. We're not addressing the behavior first, the behavior is a symptom. It's a result of what's happening on the inside. Hence this message. So we're supposed to live from the inside out. But when humankind sinned against God and was separated from his voice, what happened to the spirit within us? In essence, it died. In essence, it was separated from God. And so now we just live in the realm of both the soul and the body. And we reverse the order because how most of our world lives, and maybe how many of us have lived and still do from time to time, is that we take our cues from the outside. What is the culture saying? What is the world saying? What, am, what is happening around me right now? What has happened to me? I allow those things to inform me of my identity. I allow those things to inform me of how I should think and how I should feel. And so rather than living from the inside out, we have shifted to living from the outside in. The spirit isn't even, it's dormant, it's inactive, it's dead. But when Jesus comes into our life and we begin to taste that living water, it revives us. And it gives us the opportunity to now bring both the body and the soul into subjection to the spirit so that we can live truth-filled lives. Corinth got the order wrong. Yes, God says this. Yes, God wants to do this. But my will tells me something different. My body feels something different. My mind thinks something different. My soul feels something different. So I'm just going to go with what I feel. It's a recipe for brokenness. It's a recipe for thirst. God moves us from the inside. But when we reverse the order... The result is insatiable thirst. Insatiable thirst. This is what's happening in Corinth. There are a bunch of thirsty people looking for water. Everybody trying everything, advocating all kinds of remedies. All things are permissible. Come and try whatever might make you feel good. All things are lawful for me. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. My body is made for sex and sex for the body, so I'll give it sex. Just obeying my natural desires from the outside in as opposed to obeying truth from the inside out. Philippians 3.19 describes this attitude. It says their destiny, what is the end of that? What is the result, the net result of that path? 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Whatever my desires are, that's my God. People say, I don't want to worship God. You're worshiping something. Some of you are worshiping sex. Some of you are worshiping money. Some of you are worshiping the person you're dating because you're looking to them to do something in your life that only God can do, to quench a thirst that only God can quench. The end of that says their glory is in their shame. They They glory in it. Their mind is set on earthly things. The order is reversed. Just slaves of whatever the body desires to do. So you're not actually free. Some people say, well, I'm free to do what I want. The question is, are you free to stop doing it if you want? Because if you can't stop, then you're not free. You're a slave. In the most classical and complete definition of that word. On the cross, Jesus came to set us free. He came to do something different. In John 19, verse 28, listen to what Jesus says. How beautiful is this? This blows my mind. Like I sit in coffee shops writing this stuff and I cry in front of people, grown men and women around me, and I don't care because this is just so beautiful. On the cross, it says, after this, after Jesus had done everything he needed to do, knowing that all was now finished, what did he say? I thirst. Jesus took all of our thirst, all of our sin, all of our longing, all of our brokenness, and he took it upon himself. And having paid the price for our sin, what did he experience? Our thirst. Why? So that we could receive rivers of living water within us. He took our thirst upon himself. He died for our sins and became thirsty in our place so that we might be satisfied. John 7 verse 37 Jesus says on, the lo- it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Do you hear the passion there? Like Jesus is not like, ting, ting, ting. Hey, guys, sorry if you don't mind. I just want to quickly say something. No, he f- does. I don't even know if they had glass. But anyways, you know, he doesn't bang on the table. He gets up and he passionately cries out the same way that God's spirit is passionately crying out over his church today. He says, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, his spiritual man, his spiritual woman, the depths of who he is, shall come rivers of living water. Life to the full, abundance, fulfillment, satisfaction, wholeness, health. Those who come to me, says Jesus. If you're thirsty, come to me. We're no, looking, no longer looking for water on the outside. We have an eternal spring of life-giving water flowing within us. I want to ask you again this morning, where are you drinking from? Where are you drinking from? So as I come to the end of my message here, Paul is trying to get Corinth to understand what they have in Jesus that Jesus truly is the fulfillment of every desire we have. Why they essentially no longer need to drink dirty water and from cattle troughs. And he starts chapter six by talking about two Christians taking one another to court, which is like, he was just talking about sex 
And now he's talking about two Christians taking one another to court. And he says it's, it, it's, it's a shame to them that they would do this, that they would allow a human court to try them as believers. Can you hear how he's still talking about going to the outside to find something that you have inside? He's like, don't you have the wisdom of Christ? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world and the angels? Don't you know that we will stand in places of, of where we're the ones passing righteous judgment in the end times? And how will you now go to an, to an unbelieving person on the outside to determine something you know to be true on the inside. In other words, just do what's right. You already know what it is. You don't need a court to settle that for you. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You've got the order reversed. You're going to the outside instead of what you have within you. You have the wisdom of Christ. Don't subject yourself to the judgments of the world. He sharply then transitions back to the issue of sexual immorality. And in verse 11, he says, but you were washed. So he first of all restates what the condition, the identity is that we actually have. And he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, he, he's reaffirming, this is who you are. You are saved, you are righteous. This is not meant to condemn, this is meant to awaken. This is who you actually are. He goes on then in verse 14, and he says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power, by his grace. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He's, he's trying to give them a bigger picture of what Jesus has actually done. You're sanctified. You're justified. You're made righteous. You're holy in the sight of God. You belong to him. Jesus died for you. So, so, so this is true about your life. This is true about your body. This is true about your relationships. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That you are a part of Jesus. We are his body. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Like, am I gonna go and look for, for water in some dirty place, just some sinful place? When you're filled with Christ, why would you need that? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, which also points to the fact that sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. And it binds you together as people. When two people come together, they become one. So will you take what is joined with Christ and join it to a prostitute? And I must just say for context that this was one of the big issues in Corinth, was prostitution was a part of the culture there. In fact, even religion, the religious temples and the pagan temples had temple prostitution, which is why Paul addresses the position of women in the church later on, and it's so contentious, but people miss the context. Because he's talking about the fact that the temples were filled with prostitutes. And in the church of Corinth, they thought that in order to have a true spiritual experience, you must come to these women that are in the church and actually have the sexual spiritual experience. So you say, are you, are you going to join your body? You're a member of Christ. You're going to join your body to a prostitute? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord, if your faith is in Jesus, becomes one spirit with him. We are united with Christ. We're one spirit with God. 
Flee from sexual immorality. I covered this last week. Run away from it. It's not for you. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, do you not know that your body, it's not just a body. It's not just a physical part that communicates with the outside world. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit lives within us? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a, with a price. So glorify God with your body. John Piper always says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. If you want to please God, believe God. We have the opportunity as we find our fulfillment in Jesus. That is pleasing to God because it is faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. There were Christians in Corinth, like many in our world today, that were so in, thought they were so enlightened that they had moved beyond having to hear the voice of God. They were so spiritual that they separated their spiritual lives from their physical lives. They said, well, I, I do spiritual things, but what I do in the body, that's just, you know, that's like eating. That's just like food. It has no impact on my spiritual being. So they claimed there was nothing wrong with them visiting prostitutes. It's just a body thing. But this kind of thinking, church, devalues two things. Number one, it devalues our relationship with God. It says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you value your relationship with God? And it devalues your body, your own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? So where are we living from? From the outside in? From what our world tells us? From what Netflix's latest series is? That by the way, is developed with an agenda to specifically teach you and train you how to think. And then you wonder why the Bible is offensive. Because it says the opposite of what you've been trained to think by all these shows, all these things, what the world has been saying. It's offering you water laden with disease. But what God gives us is true purified water. Stop drinking the dirty water. Stop drinking the salty water to satisfy your thirst and glorify God with your body because He is our fulfillment. Now, this is an area that none of us are prideful in because the chances are pretty much everybody in this building has made mistakes or messed up sexually at one point of their lives or another. Amen? We've all been there, even if it's just in our desires. So there's no judgment here. There's no condemnation here. But there's a cry of Jesus here. And that cry is, come to me, you who are thirsty, and I will give you water to drink, and you will never thirst again. Let's ask God to help us take steps towards that grace, that goodness, that fulfillment where we can have healthy sexual lives 
that honor God as opposed to destroy us. Amen? Next week, we'll be talking a little bit about marriage and gender roles and a few other things that comes up in the, in the next chapter, in chapter 7. But uh, I want to pray for you this morning. Why don't you just stand with me as we close?